Messing up can cause major cringe. But according to today's guest, failure is something we should not only run towards, but also embrace. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we chat about all aspects of health and well-being so that you can live a happier and healthier life. I'm Lisa Gebilagan. Lola Berry is one of the OGs of the Australian wellness scene. She's a nutritionist, author and podcaster who, as you'll hear shortly, takes a more lenient approach to clean living than most. In her new book, her 11th, Fearlessly Failing, she explores why failure is the best thing that can ever happen to you. In this chat with our executive editor, Cara Byers, Lola not only talks about her own failures, from career suicide level mistakes to heartbreaks, she also opens up about her mental health journey, her new life in LA, and earns herself the moniker of the naughty nutritionist. A quick note, this episode does contain an F-bomb, and also thanks in advance for forgiving our audio as this was recorded during lockdown. It sounds like a really weird thing to say, but I look forward to failing. Wow, you look forward to failing. Yeah, well, how many people? (laughs) It's just an opportunity. I I get it. I get it. That sounds really morbid. I know, but um, it's a wonderful opportunity to learn about yourself and I just think how cool if I stuff up like I stuff up all the time especially like at the moment I'm training in acting school and the other day I put a monologue up that I thought I knew and I kept dropping the accent I kept stuffing it up over and over again but as a result I booked in with my dialect coach double time because I was like whoa this is a skill set that I haven't mastered yet you know what I mean I, I think failing is good so um just going back a bit we're going to start from where it all started. Let's talk a bit about your beginnings for the uninitiated. Um, You were born and raised in Melbourne. What was growing up like? Was health and wellness a big topic in your household? Oh, yeah. So my mum is a nurse and my dad is a vet. So they're both kind of in the helping genres, ones for animals, sure. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But mum used to send us to school. So I was born in 1985. So... Back when I went to school, rocking up with homemade spirulina balls that my mum had made me was kind of like hippie and weird and woo-woo. And I remember we weren't allowed lollies. She'd have a dried thing of apricots, like a jar of apricots, and that was like if you needed a sweet treat. She really, I think for a very young age, apparently she tells me when she got pregnant with me, she threw the microwave out. Like she was really into kind of like being pure and being clean. And to this day, she's one of the healthiest people I know so it's really worked for her (laughs) yeah so 2020 was a massive year for you and you moved from Melbourne to Byron Bay and you're now splitting your time between Byron and LA what inspired that and and how is it going with the pandemic and everything well so what actually happened was When Melbourne got hit last year, early March, I want to say it was kind of like the beginning of COVID, I remember I had a flight booked to America on the 13th and I was coming over to activate my green card for people listening that are like, a what? (laughs) A green card is like your permanent residency in America and it's a big deal. It took me three years to acquire it and and prove that I could get it and it cost me a lot of money in legal fees. And so once they grant it to you, you've got six months to to get in onto a, in, 
on American soil. So you've got to get yourself to America, you've got to get your passport stamped, and then they start releasing basically your American ID. And so you get your green card, your social security number. I just got my Cali ID. Like you get all these things that then mean that you start paying tax. You you know, in in three years time, I can apply to become an American citizen. It's, it's really cool, but it's a humongous process. And I had this flight book to activate on the 13th of March and the flight in my, I still remember in my Qantas app, it wouldn't confirm like it just wouldn't, I'd had the flight book and I was so stressed out and I'm a Virgo, so control is like one of my favourite things. <laughs> um, and I drove <laughs> to the international airport at Telemarine in Melbourne and I was like to the, I walked straight up to the Qantas um, desk and I said, what's going on? This flight's not confirmed. And they were like, oh, it's a tax issue with America. And I was like, I said, post by my flight. I said, just put me on a flight in two months time or in a month's time. I said, this is not, it did not feel right. And then obviously COVID went mental, but I had nowhere to live because I was moving my life to America. And my dad goes, just take a weekend bag and go down to the holiday house in Torquay, which is like a surf town out of Victoria, in Victoria, out of Melbourne. I stayed there, honestly, 10 months. <laughs> 10 months, I had a weekend bag. And then I reapply. I had to reapply for my entry visa to come to America. And so when, that happened in December. And so I knew I had six months left in Australia. And my boyfriend and I loved talking and being near the beach so much that we were like, hang on a minute, why don't we just go to Byron? And so as soon as the borders opened from Victoria and New South Wales, literally that week we moved to Byron Bay. I was in Byron Bay for six months before I came to LA to finally do that activation trip. And I've now been in LA, I think for about four and a half months. And the goal is to be half LA and half Byron Bay. And how are you finding LA? Because they're really into their wellness there. Oh my goodness. So, so much wellness. It is so much fun. Uh, I have tried so many different things. I had a massage the other day that was like this Korean scrub that then ended with a CBD massage. And I like, oh, I slept so well that night. I have tried all different types of medicinal mushroom, like not magic mushroom, medicinal mushroom. <laughs> coffees and where you can get lion's mane in it for brain and when you can get like reishi in it to calm you down and so awesome. So yeah, I've had so much fun exploring every single health food shop under the sun and now it is fall here. It's nearly Halloween time. So now everything is pumpkin spice flavored and I am having a field day. It is so much fun. Pumpkin pie is my favorite treat in the entire world. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you become so passionate about wellness? Yeah, I was unha- I was totally unhealthy when I was a teenager. I was a DJ. I was a makeup artist. I was party animal. Uh, I definitely wasn't looking after my health at all. Maybe I was rebelling from a really healthy childhood. <laughs> you know how kids, when they've had like really health, they're like get to teenage years and they're like, Maccas, bring it on, you know. <laughs> um, but it didn't last long. Like I was DJing and I, and I – I know I was like 18, 19 and I was just like, oh, this is not filling me up, this lifestyle of just partying and, you know, I was drinking three to four nights a week, not excessively, but enough to be like foggy and and, and that's a pretty young age to be doing that and so I just decided oh, I really want, I actually had a crush on my DJ teacher if I'm honest and I really <laughs> wanted to feel good and like and feel good at the beach in the summer and we started dating and I was like, stuff this, I want to feel really good and I started to look after my diet and then I was like, 
oh, weight has not much to do with it. It's actually about the energy that you get when you eat really good food, you sleep better, you're often a nicer version of yourself, you know? And and then I was like, and I'm getting fitter and healthier and that's just a byproduct of eating really healthy food. So I I think I haven't always been healthy, but I think I, I had a little fall off the wagon and then kind of came good and became totally obsessed with awesome, clean, healthy food. And how do you stay so passionate? Do you ever succumb to a cheeky macus? Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, I'm in America. I've had In-N-Out Burger three times. I've had Shake Shack once and I've tried Chick-fil-A once and they're all bad, unhealthy foods. And In-N-Out Burger is the best. I get animal fries, a cheeseburger and a strawberry thick shake. It's <laughs> So good. None of it's gluten-free, none of it's dairy-free, none of it's sugar-free. And I pay for it. Like I'll feel bloated and yuck after. But I'm like, I'm in America. I've never experienced it before. Let's give it a crack. (laughs) When in Rome, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what are your, what's in your toolkit? How do you stay well, healthy, happy? What's in your toolkit? What are your go-tos to make you feel good? I love this question because I think everybody's toolkit can be quite different and I like that. Uh, For me, my number one non-negotiable is therapy. I think having a therapist is like gym for my brain. Like I work on my body with yoga and in America here hiking a lot and eating good food most of the time. Sometimes I obviously cheat. But then when it comes to my brain and and my, my emotional and my psychological health, having a therapist so that I can process things a lot faster, so that I can understand the way I'm reacting to certain things quick that's my number one non-negotiable but we also do hypnotherapy in that which is like a more alternative mental health support Uh, I obviously love yogs I really love like breath work pranayama I love and then for me my favorite word in the entire world is biophilia which is the healing power of mother nature on human beings and I really love just connecting with nature when I feel a little bit out of sorts I'm just thinking about your beginnings like you were one of the OGs of the wellness scene in Australia. What was it like at the start? I was telling a friend this yesterday and uh, we, my friend and I did a pod swap. So he jumped on my pod and I then jumped on his. And he's like, mate, how is this your 11th book? And I was like, when I started, it was only me and two other people writing wellness. And I said, so it was a whole different ball game. Like my books were bestsellers when I first started and you'd get a royalty check and you could live off that for two years. Like it was insane. And I was lucky because I, I put all that money aside to buy a place, like to buy a house, which hopefully I will one day. Byron Bay, LA, who knows? It changed. Like it quickly became very saturated and, you know, initially you're selling like humongous amounts of books. Like I couldn't fathom it. I was like, how is this even happening? Which is probably why I got to write so many because I, I got to kind of like saturate as well in an as as the world kind of like as the health world blew up I was bringing out two books a year for a little while so so it's fun it was so fun to be in that world but yeah when it became super saturated it became harder to hit that those high like uber crazy sales figures you know there's been a bit of a shift in your books from diet to happiness and here I'm thinking of the transition from 2020 to fearlessly failing why have you made that change? 
Great question. Love it. (laughs) I think for me, if I'm not looking after my own psychology and my mental health, then I can be on any diet under the sun and I'm not going to get long-term results because I'm going to be not looking after my mind. I'm just going to be worried about what I'm eating and how I'm moving my body and I'm missing arguably the most important part. And so Fearlessly Failing, this new book is much more about like handling failure, handling fear, facing it, sitting with it, uh, looking after our mental health. And, you know, my favorite chapter is human behavior. I think the way humans are and the way our brains work, probably why I'm studying acting, is so fascinating and it just excites me to understand the human psyche and I think this book is that, like it is just me sharing all the stuff that I've learned about the human brain and about the way that we thrive and the way that we self-sabotage and it's just learning all of that and, and shoving it in a book and hopefully it inspires someone, you know. So if this were, would you say, your wellness expertise and also learning acting comes together because I would imagine as a drama student you would have to study people a lot they say good acting is just like holding up a mirror to nature and you're just sharing human behavior which I love that's like a Shakespeare quote so yeah I mean I to be honest I, when I finished high school, I auditioned for every drama school in Australia, like the big guns, like the real big ones. I got rejected from every single one of them. And um, I got into Monash Performing Arts on a monologue and I lasted a year and a half and then I failed, like failed, pulled out of school and decided to become a DJ and makeup artist. And I think it's full circle for me. It's like through all the mental health work, because I've been with a therapist for five, probably coming up five years now. And I remember probably three years in, I was like, I've been ignoring my passion. And he was like, what? And I was like, I think I need to be doing like acting and TV hosting and TV presenting. I was like, time stops for me when I'm on TV making a recipe or something, but that's like 1% of what I do. And I was like, I think I need to train more and build that skill set so I can do more of that 1% that I love. And that's where it came from. Thinking about mental wellness and happiness, are they all one and the same thing to you then? Oh, I like that. Uh, I think they're definitely like intertwined for sure. I think understanding your mental health helps you have an understanding of what's going to make you feel happy and what's not going to make you feel happy. And so, yeah, they're totally, totally intertwined. But if you think if your goal is like, I want to be happy all the time, I just don't think that's realistic. Like I think that we're going to have bad days and I've been in like my dream part of the world for the last four months and it's amazing but bad things have happened to me here like I've been followed home one day I had my car battery stolen out the front of my house one night like it's scary so I've been yelled at just walking home like screamed at and I'm in a really beautiful area it's just oh and I can't even start with the coyotes there are full-blown coyotes walking down my street at night I love it, but it's, apparently they're a bit nasty. So, yeah, I just think like I like the goal to be happy, but I think you don't get happiness with all those other struggles as well. And then I think for me, mental health is numero uno, always now. Like it, it comes before anything else. So fearlessly failing. Let's talk about your own failures. What are they and what have they meant to you? Oof. How long have we got for this pod, my friend? (laughs) (laughs) 
So many failures. Uh, I mean, I had a smoothie bar that I loved with all of my heart in Melbourne. It was called Happy Place, Lola Berry, and it was fun and there was clear courts in the ground and we got macadamias that were activated from Byron Bay and there was no sugar on anything and it was clean and it was really honest beautiful smoothies they as a result they had a reasonably high price point because we were getting these incredible ingredients in from all over the world and mainly Australia but like we were just we had a strong brand integrity but if anyone listening that knows Melbourne in the winter it's like Siberia right it's freezing and I'm I'm picking up your accent too so I know you know what cold is like right (laughs) Melbourne is yeah yeah, Melbourne is freezing in the winters and nobody wants to buy a smoothie so every winter even though we try to change the menu and try so hard to make it fly and bring out like hot oatmeals and soups and bone broths and toasties it just wouldn't work it wouldn't sell we were known as a smoothie bar and so every single winter we partners that owned it would have to float the company and that means we'd all have to put money in to keep the company alive and to keep staff paid and to keep deliveries paid and whatnot electricity bills you name it and by the third year writing was on the wall for us like we had to pull the plug and we had and that was a humongous failure for me uh, in so many different ways but it was me and four other partners and they pulled me up to their office I was only girl as well and I remember when they told me I just burst into tears totally unprofessional guys anyone listening to this like it was the most it was so unprofessional but I was just so attached to this smoothie bar and I just said you need to give me two weeks because they offered I got offered a, a great deal to buy everyone out And I said, give me two weeks. And I sat down with my therapist and he said, I know what your real dream is, TV hosting, acting, being half in America. He was like, this is not your dharma. This is not your calling. And I was like, but, you know, like it's got my name on it. And he was like, that's just your ego talking. Who cares? They're going to rename it anyway when you sell it, which they did. That was a mega failure, mega, mega, mega. But there's so many, so many. How many do you want? Do you want another one? (laughs) I bought out a diet plan that had a really controversial name and it was called so basically I was writing this four-week diet plan it's a it was in the era of those great health writers that um you and I talked about where there weren't too many health health writers. But what we were doing was we all of us would bring out and I didn't get to do it because mine blew up but um we'd all bring out four-week diet plans and it's just a really great way to make passive income and I got it beautiful, beautifully designed. I had recipes in there. I had yoga rituals in there. I had mantras for each day. It took me a few months to write this diet plan and um, my business partner who I lived with in Sydney at the time came home and he goes, what are we going to call it? Lola's four-week diet plan sounds so boring and I'd just gone through a breakup and I'd just eaten a whole block of Cadbury's Marvelous Creations. I feel like people listening and know what I'm talking about but it's like a family-sized block, not a little, not a little like normal size a full family size I'd eaten the whole thing on my own in about 20 minutes and I said I wish we could call it stop being a fat bitch because that's how I feel right now and he was like that's an amazing name we need to shine a light on the mental dialogue that we have and the the way that we speak to ourselves and I was like no no I write books about happiness (laughs) like I cannot do this I was like I'm gonna get murdered for doing this and he was like no he's like you need to shine a light on the 
especially the way women talk to themselves. And I was like, oh, okay, so it was called Stop Being a Fat Bitch, Change Your Mental Dialogue, Change Your Life. And the the name came out and within two – I remember I launched on Boxing Day and within two – I went to a movie because that's what my dad and I always used to do on Boxing Day. And by the time I came out of the movie, um, the Daily Telegraph had – released like the heading career suicide lola berry there was a hashtag bin the berry of photos of my books in bins um there was like other health writers like put out like instagram tiles like going women need to support women lola isn't and i was like oh my god like i'm talking about myself in a bid to hopefully collect connect with other people but i totally did the wrong thing and it hurts so many people and to this day i apologize for it and i totally stuffed up but yeah, it was so scary. I'd never, all my contracts got, I was legally gagged. I wasn't allowed to talk to media. I got told I could do a 15 second Instagram apology and then that ran on a current affair. Like it was just full on. And I, I remember like a really, and this is what comes back to having a good tribe around you, a really lovely owner of a yoga studio around the corner from me. I lived in Darlinghurst at the time in Sydney. She was like, you need yoga more than ever right now. She's like, just come in don't post, you don't need to. She's like, just, I want you on the mat. And that was my like solace and got me through that time because I felt pretty alone when I went through that. It's interesting that that happened to you in the context of right now. We have more awareness around cancel culture and people are coming out to talk about when they're cancelled. I mean, some people have been cancelled and they probably won't ever make a comeback. You have. Well, it probably happened... (laughs) <laughs> probably happened right before cancel culture kicked in so I'm probably I'm probably a little bit lucky in that sense I I think the issue so here's my thing like I'm like you gotta be honest because we're human beings we're all gonna stuff up 100% I'm sure I'll stuff up plenty more times in my life but I'm not gonna sit here on my socials or on anything and pretend to be good like as soon as you said do you cheat with your food oh mate more often than I should as a nutritionist, I'll tell you that much for free. So I I think for me as well, because I wrote a, a weight loss and diet book early on in my career and my body was scrutinized really early on in my career, in my early 20s, I learned so early on that I'm never going to please everyone. And I'm And like on a physical level when I was working through that, I was like, wow, I need to figure out what I need to be for me and my own health because I'm always going to be – because I was getting a lot of feedback on the way I looked on socials and I was like I'm always going to be too fat for someone and I'm going to be too skinny for someone else so I need to honour my own health. And that's where like now with the way that I am in an interview on socials, I just want to be real. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be like some perfect – gorgeous influencer that's never got a hair out of place like mate I I haven't had my hair dyed since I've been in America and it's gone it's all grays now it's not good (laughs) so you know I just think my whole thing is I want to just keep it so real um because I will inevitably stuff up I'm sure but if at least if I'm being real I can call myself out and own my own bs you know 100% you talk about heartbreak in the book which is another massive topic um Tell us about your own heartbreaks, the big ones, the little ones, even the ones in between. And maybe could you share something about how you got through those? 
totally. I don't know. I feel like in your 20s, you kind of date those kind of archetypes, <laughs> like archetype, like the boy that was emotionally unavailable that like, although he was so much fun, he could never say I love you. And, and I was fully madly, deeply in love with him and like having the courage to break up with him because I knew he didn't love me. And um, the toxic setup, like listening to a friend that I shouldn't have listened to when I got set up with someone when I knew it wouldn't have worked. And I still did it because I had such a low self-worth of myself. The You know, the boy that is amazing on paper and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, and you know, when you meet someone, you plan your whole future. You're like, we can get married. We can have two kids, blah, blah, blah. And then you meet them and, you know, you kind of ignore all these red flags. Like they're polishing off a bottle of wine at night every time you catch up for dinner. Um, that bottle of wine becomes two bottles and then a few cocktails. And you're like, wow, like I don't, that initially you're just like oh that that guy can hold his liquor and then you start realizing oh no that's every night and I think the the penny drop moment for me was when I had to let go of a boy that yeah a boy that was brilliant on paper and so much fun and I was so attracted to him and he was just mentally had to do some work on himself and I I had done so much work on myself by that stage that I could see. I was starting to see the cracks. And um, one night he said something, and it's in the book, I'm just a bit fucked up, but I think you're a bit fucked up too. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's that's a really – I was like, that's a really loaded thing to say to a female when you're in her house and you're – you know, like it was his first night staying over kind of thing. And I was like, whoa – and I said, can I ask why you're saying why you're saying that? Because I'd done so much mental health work that I knew it was a really manipulative kind of like trait to make me feel like to doubt myself when I was feeling great and having a great time. And I and I just booked him with my therapist straight away. He he kind of like blew up and he was like, I've I've stuffed up everything and ran out, left. And I called my therapist the next day and I was like, what do I do? And he's like, you just need to tell him you've got a therapist. And I was like, what? And he goes promise me, just tell him, he goes, do two things. Number one, ask if you triggered him last night. He said, which you have. And he said, when a narcissist starts to fall in love, it's the scariest thing in the world for them and they'll often sabotage it. And I was like, really? And he's like, yes, Lola. So he's like, number one, ask how he feels about potentially being triggered last night. And he's like, and number two, I'd really like you to tell him that you see me. And I was like, so I've got a therapist. And he goes, yeah. And I go, why would that matter? And he goes, do it and talk to me after. And he goes, and meet in a neutral space. So we met at a coffee shop and I was like, oh, I think, um, you know, were you triggered last night? It feels like you might have been triggered. Did you want to talk about it? And he goes, I wasn't triggered. I walk into a room, Lola, and I just want to headbutt everyone. And I was like, okay, another red flag. I was like, there's red flag number 867. And then um, I said, oh, the other thing I, I should tell you is I have a therapist and I just watched the judgment sweep over his face, like almost like he was like, I knew she was screwed. I knew she was crazy. And I remembered in that moment, I was like, I'll, in my head, I did not say this out loud. I just said, I'll never see this guy again. And I never did. I like, he rocked up to a few book launches drunk. But um, other than that, <laughs> other than that um, I never reached out or had anything with him. And my, I went straight back to my therapist and he goes, right, how long would you like to date narcissists for Lola? And that was the last time I dated a narcissist. And then I met the love of my life like three months later. This is your 11th book. That is just epic. How do you deal with blank pages? Ah, cool question. Okay. Can't believe I'm saying this is a nutritionist. 
if I'm having trouble writing, so I write usually in the mornings. I'm a morning person. Get up, caffeinate. I love to intermittent fast. So I'll get up, have my black coffee, write, exercise. Like first half of the day, I'm on fire. But when I had to do a lot of edits towards the end of the book, you had no choice. You had to kind of chain yourself. You would know. You would know what it's like when you're on writing deadlines. Same ball game. Good old martinis helped me out towards the end, I'll be honest. Like, I, like... Because it was so stressful and you're on really tight deadlines and it'd get to five o'clock and my wonderful boyfriend would make me this beautiful dry gin martini at 5 p.m. There was just like two weeks of really hard writing time and editing time and negotiating. There was a lot of negotiating with my book and uh, it was stressing me out heaps. And so there was about two weeks there where I reckon I'd just sneak the odd martini in and be like, mate, I just need to get through this next few hours. And so, yeah, that's probably not the healthiest advice, but love me a gin martini. You are a naughty nutritionist. (laughs) Next book title, next book title. (laughs) So a lot of people, you know, they peddle the idea that you have to be 100% clean eating, 100% clean living, but you seem to have a bit more leeway with that, a bit more freedom. Totally. I I think anyone that says they are 100% clean living is lying. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Uh, I think humans stuff up. I think we crave things. That said, of course, like I know there are phases of my life, like when I shot the cover for this book, I was clean as anything in the lead up because I wanted to feel confident. It wasn't necessarily about looking a certain way. It was about the way I wanted to feel on that cover shoot. And I knew I had to give a lot uh, expression wise because it was all these, it was like, and I was only like a four hour shoot, but you're just doing all these different expressions um, over and over again because the cover of the book is like nine different emotions all headshots basically and um and I thought gee I need to be able to connect to all these feelings in order to be able to shoot them a little bit like acting and so I went probably for about a month and a half in the lead up to that cover book cover I was clean but you can bet your bottom dollar that when I got home to Byron Bay actually I think after the shoot I got myself there's this place in Sydney that I love that does great smoothies called Orchard Street and they do a um Choc chip cookie too, made from chickpea flour. Oh, heaven. Got that on the way to my the airport. Had my cookie at the airport after the shoot. Had my green smoothie. But yeah, when I got back to Byron, I was like, we're going to my favorite cocktail place, boss, which I said to my boyfriend. So yeah, like I'll do clean living, but then I'll also find the balance at the right time. So where does the balance come in with allowing yourself things that aren't necessarily 100% clean, is that okay for us? Is that totally. is healthy for our body? Uh, I think it's more healthy for the mind. So there's a big movement, mindful eating and mindfulness. And I think like food is here for two reasons. Yes, totally to nourish you, to get your vitamins, to get your minerals, to get your, your macro and micronutrients. But also food, if you look back over history, it's used to celebrate love like weddings and um, like festivals and like the welcoming of like harvest and, you know, and then there was like so many religious things around food and feasting and whatnot. And so I think, and and my boyfriend is full-blown Italian Catholic. And so food is a whole different ball game in, in his family too. And I just think there's a ritual with food. There's like a beautiful um, 
celebration to food. So it's all for me, it's all about mindfulness and and being in the moment and share. And I like this idea of food being a shared experience. Like, so I just think it's about like coming to everything really presently and really openly. But I have no problem with cheating with food. I don't think it's a bad thing. Do we make lessons learned through failure a teacher? Great question. I think you welcome it. I think you know that failure is going to happen and you just welcome it. And I think if you let the failure be something that can like crush your spirit or deter you or make you want to give up, then you've kind of let it win. Like you, you got to just be like, okay, cool. This thing is really uncomfortable and it's stressing me out and I'm feeling uneasy about this thing. These are all normal human things to feel. And then you sit in it, you kind of welcome those crappy feelings and then you're kind of like, okay, I can do this. I can learn from this mistake. I can troubleshoot this. I can problem solve. And if you let it crush your spirit, then there's a chance you might have regrets down the track. And I just don't want to be a person that has regrets. I had an acting teacher say, next time you visit your grandparents, if they're in like a retirement village or um, elderly home, he said, look around and see regret in people's faces. And I was like, whoa, mate, did you want to stab a knife in my heart right now like that's really sad and I I was visiting my nan a lot at the time and my nan lived a very full life three husbands uh you know <laughs> one bell of the ball she'd always tell me made her own dresses was a dancer cook seamstress amazing woman but yeah the nursing homes were always hard to go to and super confronting a little bit depressing too sometimes and I remember whenever I was with nan I never felt like she had regret. And I thought that was really cool. And actually when I was writing this manuscript, she passed away and I wrote about grief and death in the book, which I didn't think I was going to, but because it was real and it was going on. But yeah, she was a good lesson to see that regret isn't there for everyone later in life. But I, it also made me realize because of what that teacher said, I was like, whoa, well, I don't, I don't want to have regret in my life, which is why I haven't done the social norm and had a kid by 35 you know and I'm not married at 35 and I haven't bought a home yet you know like I'm, I'm kind of bending the social rules a little bit to chase a big dream oh I love that so go live your life with no regrets and bend the social rules to chase your dreams if you'd love more insights from Lola Berry pick up a copy of her book fearlessly failing or listen to her podcast of the same name Thank you, thank you for listening to Uninterrupted. This episode was hosted by Cara Byers and produced by me, Lisa Gebilagan. For more from us, pick up a copy of the latest issue of Women's Health Australia with Jenna Juwan on the cover and visit womenshealth.com.au. See you next time.